0: this is Season 2, Episode 19 of the Language Mastery Show with Ellen Jovin. Here's a little sample of what's coming up.
1: As someone who teaches writing and grammar for a living, I think sometimes the more linguistic presentation of language gets misapplied to the kind of work I do, where I'm trying to help people function in a professional environment at a high level. Not everything about workplace writing is consistent or defined or agreed upon, but there are a lot of habits that are going to get in your way in the United States. That's usually where I work professionally if you don't uh, attend to them. So I appreciate a huge range of language, and I do some things that are different in more informal writing than I do in very formal writing for, say, a client, and also than I do in speech. But I love hearing different habits and different pronunciations.
0: Welcome back to the Language Mastery Show. In today's episode, I welcome back my first repeat guest, Ellen Joven, who's here today to talk about her new book, English at Work and to talk about her adventures traveling all over the United States with her Grammar Table. All right, without further ado, here's my chat with Ellen Jovit. So, how are you? I'm doing pretty well.
1: You're on the road? I'm getting ready to go on the road again tomorrow.
0: This is a cool thing. So tell me more about this Grammar Table Roadshow, because I see the photos on Facebook, and I... I've tried to follow along a little bit, but how did this all begin and what, what got you, uh, so excited about talking to strangers about grammar?
1: Let's see. How did, how did this grammar, ex- grammar tour begin? It began, it began small. It began as a whim, as many things in my life begin. Cause I'm sort of, I, I, you know, I'm a little bit impulsive in some ways. And I just thought last summer that'd be fun to set up a table and answer grammar questions from pastors by. So I ordered a table. I made a sign and and as soon as it cooled off so I wouldn't, you know, baste in the in the New York City heat, I set it up. And it just seemed like a good idea. It just seemed like a fun thing to do. And I uh, and I I got such a kick out of it that I kept doing it. So it was a New York thing for a while and now it's it's gone national. I think we've been um I've been traveling around the country with my husband. I think we've been to about twenty twenty something states now.
0: And is this partly an excuse to travel around the country or are you just doing this solely to take grammar to the people?
1: Um I mean I like I don't I don't know how to answer that question exactly because I I mean I love traveling and I love seeing different parts of the world. So the idea of going on the road, I guess it occurred to me because I saw how great it was at, I don't know, creating, for me, I really, it was like a bonding experience. People come up to the table, they talk about language, and it seemed like something that could work, that would be interesting to do on a national, a national level because there's so much rancor now. Mm-hmm. I thought it'd be nice to try to have Fun, friendly conversations, including with people who are really different from me, in a variety of ways, and um, so that—that's where the idea of going around the country came for came from. I've I've driven across the country multiple times, and I've actually I'd already been to forty-two states before this, and I, I so it wasn't like I you know I hadn't I'd been around. My point. <laughs>
0: You, it's that Johnny Cash song. I've been everywhere. You can make a, a grammar <laughs> version of it.
1: Yeah. Well, I. You know, I don't have any illusions about that. There are people who've been a lot more places than <laughs> I have. But I do. I have always really cared about the middle of the country. I grew up in a. You know, I. I don't. I've never called them flyover states. Um. I don't think of of the middle of the country as flyover states. I value the differences that we have, um, you know, across, across America. And, um, I was trying not to repeat United States. I don't usually say America though. So I didn't like the way that sounded, <laughs> okay. um, but anyway, I, I love going, like I always really wanted to go to the Dakotas mm-hmm. and I had, I had been to South Dakota, on my last cross country drive, but I was miss, missing North Dakota and that really bothered me. So now I made sure to take grammar table to fargo nice so yeah i'm happy about it
0: yeah it it's surprising um i, I there's a, i still have not been to anywhere near all 50 states but many of which i have managed to get to even just the last few years doing other projects that brought me to various parts of the the midwest that i'd never seen it's just it is it, it was delightfully different and unique and yeah. I I didn't really have any idea in my head of what to expect. And it was just so cool to see a different part of the, you know, the country. I mean, it really is. Uh, it's I don't, this can get political real fast, but in a way it is like 50 countries instead of it being just one country. Um,
1: Maybe a slightly smaller number than that. I mean, there are definitely swaths that have... Yeah you know, some thematic unity, but right. I went to I'm from Cascadia
0: you know? as it, as it were. So oh, you are? <laughs>
1: okay. All I right. mean that
0: there's that movement here on the West coast where we're like, okay, British Columbia, come with us, Washington, Oregon, yeah. let's unite. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> yeah.
1: But I, but you know, for, but some of, sometimes I end up in places that I've read about in novels, you know, so it seems so like something that's part of United, United States culture, and I just haven't encountered it, and it's sort of magical to go there. I mean, we we stopped in uh, Red Cloud, Nebraska, which is Willa Cather wrote and um, lived there, and so I set up in front of the foundation for her on the street on a on Main Street. It was a it's a town of a thousand or so people, really tiny, and I had an amazing amazing time.
0: Amazing. What are some of the things that maybe have surprised you or have been uh, a little bit different in terms of either the kind of questions you received or the topics that come up as you've gone to the Midwest or some of the other places versus being in New York?
1: I think the content the content is has varied a little bit. I haven't quite sat down to look at my notes and think about patterns, but I mean, I did get I did get slightly more agricultural content (laughs) in the middle of the country than Mm -hmm. I do here. Like a guy who farms almonds was talking to me about the, and this isn't about grammar, but you know, who, I never said grammar table had to be only about grammar. I don't really put restrictions on it, so people ask me just about anything that relates to words and their experience of them. So, a guy who is an almond farmer talked to me about the pronunciation of almond, mm-hmm. and he's he said that people who consume almonds call them almonds, and the farmers who farm them, I guess, at least where he is, but maybe he meant more universally say almonds without the L sound. Mm. And I found that really cool because I, you know, I don't, I say (laughs) almond, I'm an almond consumer. So (laughs) I hadn't actually really thought about that one Mm -hmm. in my life. Um, And then I also get, but just, I get, every time I go someplace I get some little window into people's interests or maybe read. Oh, actually in Ohio people were more, Ohio, I think is the only place where people asked me if ain't was a word, which i which to me is really curious because I wouldn't it might have just been the small sample size, but I think I think two to three people asked me that, and hmm. I've never asked I've never been asked that any other time.
0: That's interesting. and what was your response? You just said it so it's a word there you go. I like that. That's a very descriptive answer, which I appreciate here and <laughs> my little linguistic corner of the universe. (laughs) Um, Have you by chance read the book uh, Speaking American? Are you familiar with it?
1: I think I can picture it on my shelf and I think I've read part of it, but not
0: all of it. Okay. Yeah. The one with the, for those listening, it's they did studies on different dialectical differences around the, the country and which words they use in which parts. Uh, And it has all these heat maps about, for example, whether someone says soda or pop or even some parts of the South, they say Coke as a generic term to describe all types of soda. Um, But it's really, really interesting. I was just curious if any of those kind of uh, dialectal differences of something that have come across your radar as you've traveled, any that may have tickled you the most.
1: I can't think of one of, um, of any, but you know, my English is probably a bundle of different habits anyway. I mean, Mm -hmm. my, my stepmother, when I was growing up, my stepmother was from Ohio. So she, we used to tease her about her regional differences and her pronunciations. And, you know, my dad grew up and he's, he's American, but grew up in Argentina and his parents were from New York. So, I mean, I just got, and I grew up in California and I lived in Boston. So I just, I think I'm used to enough of them now Mm -hmm. that I don't know that I always notice. I'm not as, I'm honestly not as observant about things like that as I am about the more technical aspects of language, you know, the more grammary things, Mm -hmm. I just kind of go with the flow on that stuff.
0: Yeah. And I think this is an important uh, topic. I think maybe to delve into a little bit here is there is a really major divide, I think between the spoken word and the written word and they, they they're often hired to do very different things. They are learned very differently and um, you know, one is a natural, innate, evolutionarily endowed thing, and one is a technology. And I think that obviously they're they're close bosom buddies in many ways. But um, I, I just find it, it's very interesting how how different they can be and are in many ways. And um, I think a lot of people maybe uh, don't realize that, and they think that it's just language is just language, whether it's you know written on a piece of paper or it's something coming out of your mouth. Um, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think that, that what you say is true. I think, um, as someone who teaches writing and grammar for a living, I think sometimes the more linguistic presentation of language gets misapplied to the kind of work I do Mm -hmm. where I'm trying to help people function in a professional environment at a high level. And, um, I mean, it's, there's just a certain, you know, There it's not like not everything about um, workplace writing is consistent or um, defined or agreed upon. But Mm -hmm. there are a lot of habits that are going to get in your way in the United States. That's usually where I work um, professionally if you don't uh, attend to them. So um, I appreciate a huge range of language and I do some things that are different in more informal writing than I do in in very formal writing, for say a client, and also than I do in speech. For me, my I think my dialect is probably a little my dialects across <laughs> these things are probably a little more consistent than mm-hmm. for some people. But I love hear I love hearing different. Different habits and different pronunciations. I mean, a funny thing happened to me after I did an interview. Someone listened to it and he, and he said he he expressed his disappointment about my pronunciation of the word "the."
0: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> so he said that I pronounced it wrong, and <laughs> this was really <laughs> mystifying to me because no one's ever said that to
0: me before. And so I'm confused can... now myself. Was it he thought it should be "the"?
1: Or yes, because oh. before I've, he objected that I said. I mean, I'm actually. I actually didn't go back and listen because I'm not really that interested. On it. this, doesn't particularly interest me as a as a thing to worry about. Yeah. Um. But um. I think he felt he said that I had said the in front of a vowel, so something like the orange, you know, instead of the orange. Uh. You, I don't know if
0: you're yeah, so I, I,
1: I I don't know if mostly I distinguish or sometimes I distinguish between how I say the before mm-hmm. a vowel or a consonant, but the, that's the kind of thing that I, I what I what I really I do dislike I do dislike um when when I see I get I get people coming up to the to the grammar table sometimes who dismiss people on the basis of something that's so ugh you know, so first of all, so regional or so trivial right. or actually just so wrong. Like they're wrong. They're actually wrong <laughs> about the thing that they're judging on the basis of. Yeah. And I find, I find that quite tiresome, but I also understand the human, inst. there's a human instinct to um, set oneself apart and above. Right. That's really persistent.
0: Well, it's the, it's the in-group, out-group thing that I yeah. think, um, yeah, we're we evolved to be tribal beings and i think how you speak is one of the easiest and most difficult to fake ways of i think defining in group out group which is probably part of how and why languages evolved the way they did um yeah yeah but but yeah i agree that this um uh, gretchen mcculloch in her book because internet just came out recently and she has a great bit in there talking about how you know people have this idea that the way to love a language is to be persnickety about other people's usage of it. And it's, it's such an unfortunate, I think, sad way to go about being a language lover because yeah, it doesn't help anyone and it's annoying. <laughs> right. right. Um, but I mean, th- this is a double-edged coin. double That's not a word. A double-sided coin. <laughs> double-edged sword. See, I don't
1: know you might maybe, have a special kind of maybe
0: it's sorry magic coin uh, <laughs> I was just doing this to illustrate how even native speakers can sometimes struggle uh, but uh <laughs> no but in your professional role helping people to learn how to write in a professional business setting, there are certain prescriptive uh kind of do's and don'ts which people can argue about, but there are some accepted conventions that I think will allow you to be taken more seriously and to probably get ahead or, or struggle to get ahead for that matter. Um, But again, I think it goes back to the difference between spoken and written. I think these are a little bit, they're overlapping, you know, there's a Venn diagram here, but there's a big part that I think maybe does not overlap very much. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of the next thing I wanted to dig in to more here today is you just released a new book. Hooray. Applause. Thank
1: you. Thank you for that. It's called English at Work. Find and fix your mistakes in business English.
0: Boom! And this is and this is. <laughs>
1: thank you for the thank you for the sound effect.
0: Anytime. Uh, and this is primarily, I think, written for obviously non-native English speakers, but probably even some native speakers might get some benefit from it. I, I would well,
1: assume. I think. I mean, I definitely wrote it for non-native speakers, but. Um, but I find that native speakers have been picking it up and commenting that they're, you know, they learn stuff from it. But I think it's, I, I, I definitely did not intend it as an, as, as a book for native speakers, just because it addresses things differently. It addresses different topics than are the usual focus of right. grammar related books for native speakers. And I mean, on actually, in some cases, it probably, you know, it's probably talking about things that native speakers have never thought about, it, never thought about in the way I'm talking about them, and it might be a little tricky, you know, things like subjunctive that you, that a lot of learners are at least they have a passing familiarity with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in here. I mean, I define it. There's a glossary. I try to make it very user friendly, but still, it's just you know, it's definitely for non-native speakers, and it's based on um, the kinds of things I've collected over the years that I, that I see in in the classes I teach for um, at, at businesses. I go into business and I run a I run classes for groups of their employees, and the non-native speakers often have different challenges right. and. I have never found a tool that I really felt addressed the need they have to just get a clear explanation of you know of things that they that are off because they they work with native speakers who can't explain it to them. Right
0: right. They know it doesn't sound right, but they don't know why it doesn't sound right.
1: That's right. Or yeah. or they might explain it. They might they they also get wrong explanations sometimes, which I, which you know, always makes me feel a bit sad. <laughs> I mean, it's not tragic in the end, but yeah. it's you know, it's not. I've, I just wanted to write something that I thought people could use on their own and get reinforcement over a period of time. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I mean, you know, and I know you, you know, you share you. I love self study, mm-hmm. and I just found that a lot of the ESL books, English as a foreign language, um study books were not really appropriate for working adults who are really interested in business content. I mean, I don't think it really matters. I personally don't think it matters that much whether it's business content or not, because most of the language universe overlaps a lot. The the majority of words, the structures we use, they're the same. But people like to have something that feels professional, that focuses on content that they encounter. And that is kind of a quick hit so that when they get called into, you know, when they have an eight thirty meeting, they don't have to worry about trying to get to a class at 9am mm-hmm. on a Wednesday. So.
0: And I think it's smart in terms of positioning that people are looking for and will pay for business English, something that will help them with their career, their job, you know, just calling it how to get better at English writing, you know, probably not as, uh, <laughs> not as effective of a marketing position. So,
1: Right. right. And then, you know, there's a hole actually, because I teach, I teach business writing classes, but they're not business writing classes for non-native speakers. And, um, the generally, I think that's kind of a hole in what a lot of businesses who habitually run training programs will address. They might, they might pay for an English tutor, Mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily focus hardcore on the kind of content I'm typically trying to help people with, I don't know if I'm explaining this well, but, but yeah, they, I mean, my, my class is just, there's always a little hole. Like whenever I see na- a non-native speaker who's making these mistakes and I'm talking about a grammatical error that native speakers make, I, it always bothers me a little bit because I want to mm-hmm. be useful to them too. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is to address that hole.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's definitely needed. I, I wish I would have had it when I was teaching business English back in the day. I wish you would have too. Yes, me too. Let's make a time <laughs> machine and take take it back. But then it'll change the future, like in Back to the Future, and then there'll be this alternative, you know, terrible reality, and yeah, yeah. we'll just mess it all up. So yeah, no, we don't just, mind
1: okay. So we won't do it.
0: Let's keep it the way it is. We're just
1: okay. gonna we're gonna be altruistic and sacrifice
0: for the good of the land. I guess. Um,
1: if we, I'm just trying to think about <laughs> maybe it would have a better outcome. <laughs> maybe it would it would change. <laughs> Never mind. I don't want to get pulled. Oh no.
0: You might you may then you wouldn't have gone on this roadshow of the grammar table, maybe. So
1: yeah. that would be sad because I love it so much. There
0: you go. It was all meant to be. Um in terms of specific mistakes or patterns that you notice, just do these tend to follow from interference do you see from their native language? Is there, are these more universal mistakes? I'm curious.
1: That's um, always a, that was a know. tricky issue for me when I was putting together the content. They, they often follow from the language of origin. So mm-hmm. they're, you know, the the structure gets preserved from their native language, um, in English and it's a little, you know, it could be anything from just outright wrong to a little bit off or the wordings off, the book addresses both grammatical things and, um, you know, word choice kinds of issues. Uh, so, so, you know, there might be a mistake in here that's more relevant for a native Chinese speaker and then one that's more relevant for a Spanish speaker, but I tried to get a huge, as big a range as I possibly could. Um, I've worked with people who speak a ton of different languages. Mm-hmm. Um, so I generally get I think in New York, which is where I do most of my work, I just get exposed to a ton, a variety. And I just have, the, my brain has just sort of been stacking them up over the years and wanting to wanting to get a formalized opportunity to explain them.
0: Very cool. Um, so what's next? What's coming up down the pike for?
1: Well, for um, I have, you know, I've probably around, 30 more states to visit with mm-hmm. a grammar table. So I I I did the north in the summer because it's hot and I don't like it when it's hot. So I, I, I resemble um, that I, remark. <laughs> I'm like right now, I was just checking the weather in San Antonio to see when I could go to Texas, just as an example. And I think for for two weeks the two week <laughs> forecast was for over 90. And I thought, yeah. I mean, not just over 90, you know, like. More than she's ninety, yeah, uh, yeah. So, but high nineties too, and for some of the days. So, I'm gonna wait for Texas, um, but I figure I can start to do a slightly more southerly layer. And we're gonna my my it's my husband and I we we rent a car and we drive around, and um, we're gonna try to do to finish most of this by. Um, probably January. So it's going to be a lot of traveling, but you know, we do in the, we do a quick sweep. We might spend a night or two in a place and then we move on. It's like we're on the run
0: <laughs>
1: and he's filming it for a grammar table documentary about awesome. the adventures of grammar table. And I'm writing a book about it that I'm going to hand in the manuscript for the spring um, for Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. And that's going to come out the following year, a, about grammar table and grammar. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm pretty excited. I mean, it was, it's uh, considering I seriously just thought, oh, this will be fun. And I did it. I didn't, I had no idea that it would turn into a larger thing for me to pursue and really maximize my, my geekitude (laughs) in in a systematic way. Because yeah. you know, it's really it's the same kind of stuff that I've always been interested in and always been involved in, um, but to combine it with my love of just talking to people, mm. you know, it really it's great. It's great, and 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 the humor that's involved in it—just mm-hmm. so many people laugh or make me laugh. It's, uh, I just think it's going to be. I'm looking forward to numerous road
0: trips, and I love the you know, taking it back to this sort of low tech, high context, high contact approach. I mean, in this world of, you know, social media and people being stuck staring at their computer, or their phone, just being sitting at a table face to face with somebody. I mean, it it's such a profound form of connection.
1: It is true, though, that technology helps spread things faster. So sometimes people come up to the table and they say, Oh, do you do a
0: podcast? And I'm like,
1: no, <laughs> oh, I'm sitting here
0: talking yeah. to you right
1: now. And maybe do both. Um, <laughs> br- br- bring a recorder
0: <laughs> yeah. to the table, and you could yeah. share some well, highlights.
1: That's the. I mean, there will be there will be the movie and and that's true. Okay. footage. Is so the things that happen and that come out of people's mouths, I just can't even. I can't even. It's, it's it ranges from just plain like just really original creative hilarity from, from the passersby to things that really kind of make me cry. It's very, mm-hmm. it's just so human. Um, and I lost my train of thought because I got so excited that I don't know what I was going to say. But but anyway, so I'm going to be doing a lot of traveling and writing.
0: What are some of your favorite? Uh,
1: oh, I remembered. Can I go ahead and tell you? Please. Okay. So one of, one of the things that's a little bit of a challenge just physically is that I, I like to bring the books that I use as reference materials. I'm not, you know, and I bring language learning books. I usually bring at least two languages other than English books for languages other than English to the table every time I go out and this stuff is heavy. And I could, you know, if I wanted to, I could just put it on a device and have it there. So if someone said, well, what do you think about blah, blah, blah. And I could say, oh, I'm going to look it up on my iPad for you and whip out, you know, whatever book, but then they can't see it. They can't feel it. They can't browse it. And I, th- I, I really want them to experience the actual materials because they don't know them sometimes. And I want them to see them and books are pretty also. Mm-hmm. So the lugging part is a little tricky. I thought, <laughs> and I went out this summer that I was going to get very you know, muscular from carrying around the table. Yeah, grammar sit Yeah, it would be the grammar table workout. And I'm afraid that did not happen because it was counteracted by what I ate at like roadside stores. But um, <laughs> what was what were you going to ask? I, that was my thing. I wanted to. T- so I I've stayed I've I've stayed low tech, but it's it would sure be useful to use tech sometimes. But I'm resisting.
0: Yes. Well, there's pros and cons. And I yeah. just this you know year, I'm going to be releasing a print version of my master Japanese book, which has been available for 10 years, but only in digital format. And so now that I'm doing a, a paper version, it's amazing how much more engagement and excitement there is about it, even though it's the same <laughs> content. And it's been, I mean, it's been updated, but you know, the, people love paper and I get it. Like I, if I have a choice, I love having a paper version of a book. Um, it's just I of,
1: love... You can cut it.
0: Yes. <laughs> well, I try not to because they're usually library books these days, but I try to be respectful.
1: Right. Hashtag financial freedom,
0: everybody. Um, but, but yeah, I, I'm curious. What I was going to ask is, are there a few either anecdotes or favorite memories of, of stories you've encountered or people you've met? I mean, I know that a lot of these we've covered in the documentary when it comes. But as a little teaser for people, what are what are some of your favorite stories that have come along?
1: Well, this woman the other day um, wanted to know about her comma usage. Because um, she was really convinced she was using commas incorrectly. So she got out of her phone and she showed me these texts and I was getting really confused about the, I mean, I was confused by the content cause it referred to kitties, you know, mm-hmm. K I T T I E S. And I, I thought this was a work related thing. <laughs> and this isn't really that great a story I'm thinking. Um, um, but there was some, but it was kind of tender to me. She has a cat business. So she takes mm. cats and it's like a little window into people's, you know, they, they really show me these things. They're kind of, I was looking at her texts about caring for these kitties and stuff. And so for me, that was very tender. I loved the conversation I had um, in, you know, when one of my favorite things is when people just come up and either just ask me a question as though it's obvious that I should be sitting there waiting for them to come up and ask a question. Like, you know, it's like a, you know, water or power or, you know, some other utility. So they just like dive right in. And one time a woman came up to me and just, spoke to me in Spanish. She just didn't even, she didn't actually ask if I spoke Spanish. She just started speaking to me in Spanish and, um, wanted to know how she could learn English. And the, that kind of experience really, um, is profoundly moving to me at a time when, um, you know, when people who don't speak English in this country are not having an easy time. So to feel like I'm participating in something that's different from that, and that is, you know, that that honors the linguistic diversity mm-hmm. of this country.
0: Well, this is actually a good tangent to something else I was going to ask you about, which is if people listening are native English speakers, but they want to do more to help non-native English speakers who are trying to learn the language, maybe they're not a teacher. Maybe they're just, maybe it's in their workplace. Maybe it's a friend. Like, what are some ways you think they can best help those people, other than just buying your book, of course. That <laughs> I too, mean, you that sort works. of,
1: you just <laughs> undermined my answer, but, um, I think,
0: fig- yeah, I think. Okay, buy you the book, trying- step one, and then fir- step I two.
1: Figured <laughs> I figured you weren't trying to set me up for something so obvious. <laughs> well, I, I mean, the obstacle that, okay, I have a couple of thoughts about, um, English as a teaching, helping people with English as a foreign language, I have a great deal of respect. There's a lot of discussion about whether it's better to be taught by a native speaker or a non-native speaker. You've seen those arguments. Okay. Don't get taught by a native, a native speaker because they don't know what they're talking about. Get taught by a non-native speaker. I mean, of course, I guess a carve out would be people who have formally trained in English as a foreign language or ESL, and they actually really know their material. But um, I think there's a lot of value that you can get from native speakers who are sensitive to language but maybe don't know the grammar, just hearing, you know, the they can help, ex, you know, they can say whether something sounds natural or not, right. that's a big deal. Huge deal. And I don't always think it's so necessary. I see a lot of value in just the conversation kinds of classes that people teach where they don't even know that much grammar. I mean, I've sat in on them, and I think my presence has made, you know, has caught, caused some nervousness because... <laughs> Yeah. All the grammar
0: ladies here gotta, gotta be on your best behavior. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I mean, I, I'm not, I am definitely not like that. I think when I was younger, I was like, Oh, that's too bad that they're teaching that mistake. Oh no, that person's good. But the majority of what comes out of their mouths is modeling English. That's kind of natural and idiomatic. And that Mm -hmm. gives a sense of pronunciation and patterns. And I think that's cool. So, I mean, if people want to be able to take it a step further, you, you really do have to read a little I, – I mean, I think you just have to read a little bit about English as a as a foreign language and you, you can learn some cool new things about how it works that right. you'll never learn as a native speaker. I mean, right. it's, it's actually really interesting.
0: It's fascinating. Um, I
1: love it. I love it. I mean, it's hard. It's harder for me to write a book for non-native speakers than it would be to write a book for native speakers. Mm. You know, like I could – if I did a book – yeah, cuz I just I, I just it's just easier in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah. depending on the cuz you also depending on the different language backgrounds, there might be things that pop up that you never really thought you'd have to explain because in some languages it's the same as in English, but in others it's not. But having at least some exposure to a lot of languages has helped me appreciate the origin of some of the challenges that people face in English.
0: So, how do you address this challenge of people learning English via English. Um, I mean, on the one hand, I think it's great because I think a big mistake I see a lot of people do is they spend all of their time in their native language talking about their target language. This, you <laughs> you know, it's like,
1: like, <laughs> like
0: everywhere in the world. For, yeah. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, because this is getting into more technical stuff, um, is the assumption that people reading this book are already at such a level they can understand? the content and it's written in such a way that that's pretty easy to comprehend or how do you kind of
1: I get it? Well, it is, it is meant to be for people who are advanced enough to be able to understand the grammar glossary that I put in the back. And then I also put a vocabulary glossary to explain things that might be unfamiliar to people. I mean, I, I know how it is to study a foreign language or to study I know how it is to study a language and read about the grammar in that language. It's more challenging. And I think for some people, especially if they don't have a familiarity with some familiarity with grammar, it'll be a little, it could be a little difficult. If they knew, if they were intermediate English speakers and they knew a ton about grammar, that would help. That would be, um, you know, that would, I think they would be okay. And if they had really advanced English and knew less about grammar I think they would be okay. I think if they're intermediate and don't know anything about grammar, it's just it's just by definition, I have sympathy. I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna not gonna lie about it. It's just harder. Mm-hmm. and I sometimes, as a learner, get impatient with that. you know, like if I'm trying to understand a really advanced point in a grammar of another language, I actually don't always want to read about it in the target language. I mean, I've done it and I do it, but I also appreciate sometimes just being able to get a clear answer in English and move on with it. Mm -hmm. So,
0: yeah. And I I think, I don't know if we are totally aligned in this, but you know, in my opinion, reading about that grammar point anyway, isn't going to get it really into your head. It's kind of, it's exposing to it to you. So you have a little bit of conscious awareness of it, but it's going to be lots and lots of exposure and practice. That's actually going to make it really click. But I, Combina- I think that
1: is true. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you finished, then I'll comment. Oh, I was gonna
0: say, but but I think I think that combination is really powerful though. Only only getting the the input alone, I think is gonna take longer. Yeah. But having that having that input focus, but with just a little sprinkling in there of sort of conscious awareness, I think can be a really powerful combo at least that's been true in my experience but I do
1: I'm not I'm definitely not a person who I mean I do not thrive on input alone I absolutely need the explanations and because I think I think I am an outlier in this way probably to some degree but I really do believe that when I get a grammar explanation it often travels into my spoken and written language skill for language um, fairly quickly because it's so friendly to my brain. Mm -hmm. It feels good. I noticed that studying, you know, for studying Italian, for example, I really was, I was kind of mixing and matching verbs and nouns and playing around. Like I would learn a structure and then I would do automatic substitutions. So there's like a, like a little computer program going on in there to try different things together and reinforce the pattern. So for me, I'm going to, I'm going to dispute it for myself a little bit, but I think in general, I've, I've just, I don't think some people like grammar quite as much as I do.
0: I think the number one thing I've learned is that we're more alike and more different than, uh, than we ever realize. you know, and, and in this sense, like, you know, I've now interviewed about 40 people for the podcast and, there's a lot of common themes, but there's also a lot of differences. And I find that that those differences are where things are most interesting to me because you do realize like, you know, this idea of what's called bio individuality. I mean, we all are actually quite unique in these, in these ways. So you got to figure it out. You got to throw a lot at the wall and see what sticks, I think. And don't just, yeah,
1: well, I definitely am not a, you know, a, Global language learning theorist. I mean, I, what I mean is that I don't say, "Oh, this is how you should go about doing it."
0: This is the one I true way. Don't
1: believe. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't believe in that. And well, if I anyone says that, that
0: I, you should. You should go to the next. Yeah, podcast but or, I also. Or, yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I definitely, um, you know, if I, f- I feel I enjoy something. If I feel I enjoy something a huge, huge amount, then I think it's possible that other people will also. And, you know, enough other people will enjoy that thing possibly in a similar way. And, and I, you know, that's sort of how I went about this book. This is what I would want for some of the languages I've studied, um, especially if I were working in them, because I would want to, I would, it would be very important to me philosophically if I moved to France right now. And I, if I were working in France, I would want to eliminate this type of error, to me, that would be a, a really high priority because um, it that I cover in the book. I mean, because I I want people to hear me and not the mistakes that they're not used to hearing when they speak to native speakers. Right?
0: Do you think down the road there will be versions of this for other languages? Could be. Could be. Mm, oh, cool. Well, let us know. Okay. <laughs> that, that sounds fun. Cool. Well. Uh, it sounds like you have a lot, lot coming down the pike soon. This is exciting. Um, look forward to checking out the book. It's literally waiting for me at my public library. I I had them buy a copy, so once I get you home, did? I did. Oh, that's
1: so neat.
0: So I'll I'll, I'll check that out so once nice I get to think get of. Out. Thank you. And so more people will also get to enjoy it after me, but but I get it Yay. first. So. Fine.
1: <laughs> so so just you know don't spill anything on it
0: i'll try i'll try not to <laughs> i will resist the temptation to underline the, and highlight The
1: cover is kind of soft the paper so you you could pet it though i think and it doesn't leave fingerprints i'm petting it right now okay okay
0: i'll try to avoid biting it too okay <laughs> <laughs> we drooling right. well ellen thank you so much and good luck on the, in the next round of the grammar table road show
1: all right thank you very much for having me on again
0: you're my first repeat guest so also congratulations I'm very to that I
1: am very excited by this honor
0: this is this is a very special honor that will last about a week because Chris <laughs> brohab's also coming back on so
1: all right so it'll
0: be a short-lived uh record but
1: all right but an important well, one you know a week yeah Let's get some time yeah yeah I Say. will I will bask in the glory
0: try to get too arrogant though you don't know, we'll have to knock you
1: okay off your I breath. will well I mean I, I'll try but it it isn't honest
0: yeah well okay. there's mine. thank you very much for listening to the show for show notes go to languagemastery.com slash show and if you enjoyed what you've heard and want to support the show and keep us going there are two things you can do leave a five-star review in itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts or two if you're learning japanese go to japanesemastery.com to check out my master Japanese guide, which shows you exactly how to learn Japanese anywhere in the world through what I call anywhere immersion. All right, that's it for this week. We'll see you next Friday.